So producer, I don't have to listen to the Washington Post, and I don't have to buy the Washington Post. I don't have to subscribe. I don't have to utilize any of their advertisers. They can choose not to be journalists, and I could choose not to listen to journalists. Fine with that. I think that's a fine arrangement. But when they utilize 17-year-olds to push their policy theories, to push their narrative, I have something to say. Whenever we use children to move narrative, I've got something to say. This happened just the other day. Everybody was all super excited about this nine-year-old speaking at a, at a school board meeting. And, oh, there's a Black Lives Matter poster in my room. And what's that all about? here again. The other day I was walking down the hallway at Lakeview Elementary School to give a teacher a retiring gift. I looked up onto the wall and saw a BLM poster and an Amanda Gorman poster. In case you don't know who that chick is, she's some girl who did a poem at Biden's so-called inauguration. At that moment I stopped listening. And it goes on and on and on. We're a nine-year-old, first of all, any nine-year-old who's saying so-called inauguration, that's uh, their parents writing it. Nine-year-old referring to Amanda Gorman who gave the who gave that poem as chick. Okay, I guess a nine-year-old could talk like that. Amanda Gorman's po- poem connected, and I said at the time, "Don't knock poetry." She has other poems that are pretty despicable, but this child wraps it up. MLK said, "I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the color of their." skin but by the content of their character that dream has come true i do not care or look at the color of skin but you make me think of it i have asian mexican white chinese black friends and i don't care i like them because some of them make me laugh some are sweet and kind sporty or share the love of god they are just my friends you have lied to me and i am very disappointed in all of you you cannot even follow your own rules if you're going to do that why do we follow any rules we deemed unfit or ridiculous i'm not following your mask rule anymore then get the posters out of our schools courage is contagious so be courageous and people are cheering this it's a nine-year-old since when do we utilize children as shields what are we cnn with david hogg tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you 833 got tony 833-468-8669 don't tell me it's 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 talking about quote-unquote my side you don't use a nine-year-old in this way or a ninth grader i know i think that was a nine-year-old you don't use kids in that way kids are not political props i'm not interested and no i don't think you wrote that i think your parents wrote it I sat here and told you it was disgusting and despicable and wrong, wrong what CNN allowed, uh, the, the treatment that CNN put upon David Hogg and how his parents allowed it. And they used this child as a way to attack people on the Second Amendment. As if somehow they were responsible for the programs that allowed this kid at Parkland at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School to be able to continue to be a problem that was not dealt with. Blame Barack Obama and the superintendent there in the Promise program that allowed this kid to fester. Don't blame lawful gun owners. And then create a celebrity out of David Hogg like he in any way matters. The guy can't make a pillow. Forgive me if I don't pay attention to him on anything else. 
And I never spoke about him when he was a child. I stayed as far away from it as possible. He's an adult now who got into Harvard having no skills whatsoever, proving that Harvard is not interested in education. Harvard is interested in indoctrination. There is nothing to graduating Harvard. The difficulty is getting in. Washington Post had to go to Princeton to find this 17-year-old. And by the way, impressive, a 17-year-old at Princeton. It's impressive stuff. And what is she writing about? She is challenging Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over his critical race theory ban. What does she say? The critical race theory ban is a ban on racial justice. I guess the Washington Post had no other way to deal with the fact that critical race theory, as it is portrayed in schools, is about teaching children to hate other children and teaching children to feel guilty for their existence. You could talk about critical race theory as a uh, legal uh, theory, been around for a great number of years, but when we talk about it implemented in the schools, we're talking about teaching children to hate. And for those people who say, that's not it, you don't understand it, no, 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 I fully understand it. You want me not to talk about it, and the answer is no. Whether you then couch it as other subsets like social-emotional learning, well, that's things we have to deal with and we're, we're working on uh, preventing, providing the proper counter-argument, which is, yeah, we see you, school districts. We see you all across the country. If you believe and, and, and connect to websites where you tell people they should read Ibram Kendi and his book on how to be an anti-racist, you're pushing bigotry because anti-racism is racism. It states that you confront racism with racism and you confront future racism with racism. It reduces people to a skin color and no individuality. To believe in anti-racism and to support anti-racism is to support bigotry that is so awful I wouldn't let you in my house. People have decided to defend anti-racism to the point where they drop friends. Right? They, 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 by the way, if I say right again, punch me. It's, I'm trying to break the habit. They'll say to you, well, if, if you're not okay with this being taught in schools, you're clearly a bigot. And this is why I don't let these people in my house because they're around out there calling people bigots because someone disagrees. Having a disagreement does not make one a bigot. I disagree with critical race theory because I think it teaches a horrible lesson. A failed lesson. I disagree with anti-racism because it's. I think it's 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 a bigoted thought process. I'm looking at the actual argument and saying, how is it not bigoted? I don't agree, and 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 you no longer want want a friendship. That friendships have ended over this. But it could have just been, hey, I disagree with this, and here's why. And then it led to, well, you must be a bigot. To which I say, okay, we're not friends anymore. Goodbye. Right? I didn't start that way. You brought me to the place. You're the one who said, if I don't agree, not you, they, I don't agree, I'm a bigot. Okay, goodbye. I'm not here to argue it with you. I'm here to fight you. I wanted to have a conversation. I don't think we should be teaching children to hate each other. I don't think we should be teaching children the idea that there's an oppressed and oppressor class. I don't think we should be teaching children that everything is constructed to keep you down and you should look for ways that you're being kept down, even if you have to invent that way. Because if you're not being kept down, clearly you're not looking hard enough because it's everywhere and in everything, and that's what we're taught.
So you, the school can make the argument that they don't teach critical race theory. But in everything they also push, that's what kids are learning. But here's the Washington Post that wants to take on Governor Ron DeSantis. And so they put a 17-year-old girl. I, I, I guess they're going to refer to her as a 17-year-old uh, person of color. And, uh, and they put her up and say, here, she's opposed to Ron DeSantis. What are you going to say about that? I don't care what 17-year-olds say. How about that? On policy? means nothing to me. Someone should tell her that. I'm not going to. I don't talk to children. I don't get into fights with children. I attended a school board meeting. Well, we couldn't even get in, right? They only allowed so many people. And it was about critical race theory. And, of course, the proponents who are the first ones to, to scream bigotry. And where I live, not only were they first ones to scream bigotry, one of them decided to put out a, a, a missive talking about how to threaten people who oppose critical race theory and take down their license plates and find out where they work and call their employers and call any associations they're with and call them racists and call them bigots and demand they be fired. This happened. The guy signed it happily, proudly. If you're confident in your theory, you're not out there threatening others. That's the work of the authoritarian. But when I attended this meeting, and you took a look at everybody who was in favor of critical race theory, there was a lot of high school students. If you took out the high school students, there'd be 12 people there. There were 12 adults. All right, maybe it was, it was 15. Why? I, I counted every single one. The point is, compared to the amount of students, the amount of adults was very small. There. Much better. Did it matter to me what any of those students said? I'm not angry at the students. But they don't have any say. They have zero say. They're students. We're the parents. We have say. Now, notice I said the parents. Now, this is not me being anti-teacher. Not anti-teacher. But parents are the ones who have the say. And you don't get to teach our children that there are, it's, it's, it's an oppressed, oppressor society. And then they should look at kids in the classroom as oppressed and oppressor. And then act accordingly. And then get their revenge and take it out on this one and fight that one and hate this one. We all know what's happening. And yet there are people out there who are hell-bent on pretending that it's not. It's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has gotten to the point where we're now putting children into the fight. I don't want to see your kids in this fight. Your kids should be learning and your kids should be playing. No, you don't have to be an activist at 17 or 9. You know how many people mocked Greta Thunberg? Right? Uh, the, the snow caps are melting and how dare you? And everything about the environment. I said she's a kid. I'm not paying attention to her. And everybody laughed. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to pay attention to a kid because they're on quote unquote my side. They're a kid. Don't do this to your children. Get a little good holy damn decorum. Handle yourselves. Control yourselves. As the late great Andrew Breitbart would say, behave yourselves. Washington Post, they're not going to behave themselves. I expect this garbage from them. I expect it. 
but a 17-year-old child isn't going to tell me about what's best for the education of my children. And certainly what's best is that they not be engaged in this level of hateful nonsense. And this is only one of many stories going on out there. Have you heard the Billie Eilish story? Billie Eilish, the singer, um, was mocking Asian people. Now, here is the story as I know it. It's a video on TikTok. She sings Bad Guy. Um, she supposedly, in a, in a video, was mocking an Asian accent, and she uttered an ethnic slur referring to someone of Chinese descent. There's no way for me to say it on air, so I, I, I will uh, avoid. Thank you. You're welcome, producer Ari. But she, she put out an apology. I love you guys, and many of you have been asking me to address this, and this is something that I want to address because I'm being labeled something that I am not. There's a video edit going around to me when I was 13 or 14 where I mouthed the word from a song that at the time I did not know was a derogatory term used against members of the Asian community. I am appalled and embarrassed and want to barf that I ever mouthed along to that word. The reason I bring up Billie Eilish is that we take a look at critical race theory and we take a look at anti-racism. We take a look at cancel culture and the woke folk. And we make determinations that this is wrong and this is terrible. And your career is gone and your career is gone and you're gone and you're done and you're finished. But some people get to stay. And I want to know how this works. If I did what Billie Eilish did, I may very well be out of a radio job. But Billie Eilish could just say, oh, I'm so embarrassed and that's it. I agree she was 13. But we have seen people in, the, in Major League Baseball and other places who were 16 and did something and their careers uh, get, get cut and beaten and destroyed. Of course she shouldn't be held to something she's done when she's 13. But now let me take a look at Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator from Rhode Island, who belongs to an all-white beach club where his wife is the majority owner. Something like that is allowable in 2021? Well, it is if you're Sheldon Whitehouse. Nothing's going to happen to him. The problems of all of this wokeness is that it's not applied equally. I thought it would be, and everyone would be a victim of the wokeness. Nope. Everyone might take their time in the barrel, but some people are able to get out of the barrel, and they don't get shot. They don't get destroyed. We should ask ourselves how serious this is. Now, when we talk about the education part, I think it's very serious. When we talk about fighting critical race theory, I think it's very serious. The people who tell you that critical race theory is not being taught in schools, but they are engaged in all of these definitions of anti-racism and this and that and the other, and they have all the resources available for parents, and then they want to talk about social-emotional learning, that they're, we'll call it CRT, and it's all the other things. Right? We'll just call it critical race theory. They, they can deny it all they want. That you would have to apologize for something you did that you're 13, when you're 13 is irrational. Yet we demand it. But if it was somebody else, like a radio host, their career would be over. 
If it was a Republican who belonged to an all-white beach club, you see, that's the racism we're discussing. Sheldon Whitehouse isn't going to have to break a sweat. So we've got really two stories. How parents need to be able to fight against bigotry and how the media apparatchik and society writ large will excuse other people's bigotry because, you know, they like them. No standards is a real problem. I'm Tony Katz. And we should always be fully transparent with each other. On this conversation of Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator from Rhode Island, and this uh, beach club that he belongs to in, in Rhode Island, this uh, all-white beach club, are they all white by choice or by circumstance? Meaning, do they not have any black members? But they would allow black members. According to Politico, uh, the club has a diversity of membership. According to the club... Um, uh, they, uh, do not have anything that says, uh, you can't join no restrictive policy regarding race or ethnicity. So it's possible that a, a club could allow all members, but only have one kind of member. It's very possible. That's not our argument. Although it's good to know, it's always good to have the data. Just belonging to the club in the woke world should be disqualifying and would be disqualifying if Sheldon Whitehouse's name was Sheldon Trump. True. And because his name isn't Trump and because he's a Democrat and not a Republican, this story is not a front page story. That's what we're exposing. That's the bigotry. And that he thinks he can just get away with not answering the question. Which would not be afforded you, me, and we. That's what we're taking a look at and how insidious that all is. I'm Tony Katz. I love how Portland, Oregon is trying to, to refresh their image for the whole country. It's, it's hilarious. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. But, oh, my gosh, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. This Sheldon Whitehouse story, which I've been talking about, and really the hypocrisy that if Sheldon Whitehouse's last name, this this is the senator from Rhode Island, Democrat, who's always talking about systemic racism and Trump's bigotry, but if his last name was Trump, the story of him belonging to an all-white beach club would be the top story in all of America everywhere. There'd be cameras in front of his house 24-7. You see, the bigoted Trumps or bigoted Republicans, whatever the case may be. But it's Sheldon Whitehouse. And so, I guess that happened. It's, it's a Democrat. What happened to the rules? Now, sometimes Democrats do have to deal with the same rules. How angry is Al Franken every single day. One inappropriate photo and he had to resign his seat? It's disgusting. But a Sheldon Whitehouse can belong to the all-white club. It's totally fine. As a matter of fact, let's listen to the way the media apparatchik works its magic to make it sound not so bad. Forbes put out a tweet 
The Rhode Island Democrat has come under fire for his membership in one of America's most exclusive and historically homogeneous clubs. Historically homogeneous? You couldn't get a, you couldn't get away with that if your life depended on it. Oh, there's that that's not the worst part of the article, dude. There's more? Yeah. I only saw the tweet. Wait, what happened in the article? So, what I thought so behind the scenes Kurt right now, Tony, right before we go on the air goes, "Did you see the Forbes article about the Sheldon White House and the That's club? exactly what I, I just saw the tweet. Literally just came across for me on, on somebody's Twitter feed. I'm like, "No. I was just done talking about it." And I so I did ask that to producer, "All right?" And he's like, "Yeah, I did." I'm like, "This is so I, I bring it up. Wait, what did I not read?" So the thought thing I thought you were talking about is a quote from a longtime member who said of the club's demographic composition, Jewish, yes. Blacks, not really. They allow Jews? I mean, I I I, I thought that I that I was more troubled by that line than anything. In the two thousand three profiles, this is a profile that's going on eighteen years ago. A longtime member told the New York Times of the club's demographic composition, Jewish, yes, blacks, not really. Okay. Ah. But look at the lengths to which Forbes went to get that story out and be like, ah, it's, it's kind of a thing, but it's not a thing. So we'll just, we'll just cover the thing and, and that'll be the thing. Come on. Honestly, I could use all the bourbon right now. What a thing. The story is never ending. Now this brings us to Portland. And and if you think a full page ad in the Seattle Times is going to bring you back um tourism, you you don't understand how bad you look. You just had all 50 members of the riot squad resign because you brought charges against one of the officers who did their job. He did his job. He didn't beat anybody. He didn't attack anybody with a baton. Did his job. And you indicted him. So they said, yeah, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. We don't want, we're not going to be, they're still cops, but they just dropped this uh, specific uh, group. They dropped the, the uh, riot squad. Portland knows it has a problem. And so they put out a full-page ad in the Seattle Times and in other papers. You've heard a lot about us lately. It's been a while since you heard from us. Some of what you've heard about Portland is true. Some is not. What matters most is that we're true to ourselves. What in the world does that even mean? I think what matters most is that people can walk down the street without being killed or called a bigot or that a building isn't set on fire. There's a river that cuts through the middle of our town. It divides the east and west, but it's bridged over and over again, 12 times to be specific, and that's kind of a great metaphor for this city. You, you, you think this is going to reach people? All of a sudden, people are going to move their business there? 
All of a sudden, people can be like, hey, honey, honey, forget having uh, the wedding in that 300-year-old church where your great-great-great-grandmother got married. We're going to do it in Portland. We're a place of dualities, reads the ad, that are never polarities. Two sides to the same coin that keeps landing right on its edge. Anything can happen. We like it this way. I swear to you that came from a poetry slam reading at 2.30 in the morning. And you could hear the, the snaps of the fingers, man. You know what we are, right, man? Right, you understand it, man. We're just like, we're like these dualities. But we aren't polarities. So, like, we're there, but we're not, like, pulling on each other. We're like two sides of the same coin, man. And we're like, and when, when you like, you flip us, you toss us. You know, we land like right on that, on on that like ridged edge. And what are those ridges for, man? I don't know, man. Well, like the nickel doesn't have them, but the quarter has them, but the dime has them. It's like, what's the point? What happened to the nickel and the penny? Why'd they forget the ridges, man? Does anybody, anybody have any potato chips? Speaking of ridges, I'm hungry, Wait, man. Wait, are you snapping your fingers in the background? Yeah, man. Okay, nobody could hear that except for me, but it's such an important factor for this for this parody. It's cool, Daddy-O. You know, it's just like where the hipsters hang out. Well, maybe I'm doing stoner and it has to be more hipster club. You know, you got to have a little more uh, of, of, of that. It's the kind of place, Daddy-O, where new ideas are welcome, you dig? Whether they're creative, cutting edge, or curious. At first glance, you can speak up here. You can be yourself right here. Oh, yeah, Portland, baby. Just cools the other side of the pillow. Look out for all those dead people from the riots. I mean, that's, it, that's, that's how it reads. So any way you want to do it, it goes. We have some of the loudest voices on the West Coast and some of the most violent. And yes, passion pushes the volume all the way up. We've always been like this. We wouldn't have it any other way. We have faith in the future. We're building it every day the only way we know how. By being Portland, come see for yourself. This is their ad campaign. Come on, that's stunning. That is stunningly bad. But it is stunning. That anybody could think that that's going to get people to show up. That that's somehow a Good look for your city. You burnt your city to the ground. Not the entirety. People died. You allowed lawlessness. You told cops you hate them. You told citizens uh, they uh they they ain't got uh they don't have a choice. Just deal with it. Dear Lord. Now, Seattle not willing to be outdone, they are having themselves a, uh, a, a pride event. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, Gay Pride Month, I, I think that's what they call it, and, and so there's, there's I, I'm just saying, I don't know if there's another name for it, it's, it's Gay Pride Month. And there were these people arguing to the Seattle Human Rights Commission 
that it's wrong that there be a pride event that charges white entrance a reparations fee. I did not say that wrong. I did not make this up. If you are white, you are being charged a reparations fee. White allies and accomplices are welcome to attend, but will be charged a 10 to $50 reparations fee that will be used to keep this event free of cost for black and brown, trans, and queer community. Because that's who it's for. It's for black and brown, queer, trans-centered, prioritized, valued event. So they said, uh, you can't do that. And the commission's like, sure we can. The commission sends a letter to these two who are, I believe are both gay. We would like to recommend, if possible, that you educate yourself on the harm it may cause Seattle's uh, black, indigenous, people of color community in your pursuit of a free ticket to an event that is not expressly meant for you and your entertainment. That's the Seattle Human Rights Commission, people. Just letting you know, you're always welcome in Seattle if you'll pay the fee, Whitey. Unreal. Unreal what it is we are seeing. What I think is important to remember here is that we don't have to play in any of it. We don't have to buy into any of it. You want to live this crazy life? Live this crazy life. We're out. We're cool. The people of Seattle and people of Portland have to fight like hell. You may have to fight like hell where you are. We don't have to live in this crazy. We shouldn't live in this crazy. This is bad crazy. Bad, 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 crazy. These people will just ruin themselves. And we will learn that there are more of us than there are of them. You want a great example of this? Check out the football player from the Las Vegas Raiders. That story is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Steven Spielberg going to make movies for Netflix. And now we know where the power is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Amblin, which is his longtime production company, they're going to make multiple new feature films per year. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to direct all of them. It means his production company is going to make them. Amblin also has a deal with Universal. So they're going to split things up as they need to. But it just lets you know exactly how big Netflix is. And when you have Spielberg, Apple TV didn't get him, Hulu didn't get him, Amazon Prime didn't get him. Spielberg's the kind of name that could take on Marvel and take on Disney. (laughs) He can take them on in individual films. He does not have the franchises. No. So settle yourself right down, right there. I think it's fascinating. Now, the big story you're hearing about today is a guy by the name of Carl Nassib. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I don't know him as a player. He's a defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders, and he came out as gay. He said, I just want to take a moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get this off uh, my chest. He's like, look, my life's great. My job's great. Everything is it is terrific. So, oh, people, I'm Carl Massive. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. 
I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day, videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, I would argue they're not necessary right now, but you be you, man. Go play football. I, I, I never asked who you slept with before. I don't care today, but you wanted to put it out there. It's, it's, your, it's your world, man. It's your, it's your uh, social media feed. Sure. I review cigars on my social media feed. Go ahead. Put, put yourself out there. Just go. Just win, baby. You, you think Al Davis ever would have cared? Just win, baby. That's all you got to do. But hey, you know, he, he's good on him. What's interesting is I've now seen this in two different places. I have seen photos of Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib wearing like an American flag kind of like, you know, they wear like a, like a bandana on your head. And with friends who are wearing Trump gear. <gasps> and now I have seen in two different places, although who knows, what, the, the question of whether or not Carl is a Republican. Because I'm telling you right now, if Carl Nassib is... A gay Republican football player who just came out of the closet. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? What's going on? Holy crap! I am freaking out. Oh my gosh! Are things going to get crazy? People are going to lose their minds. They're gonna be. Uh, the, what do I do? I like it? Do I not like it? Is this good? Is it bad? Is it the right kind of gay? Somebody get me Bravo so they can tell me what to think. Uh, I I I can't I I can't wait. I can't wait for people to to like dig in and decide whether whether or not he he's uh, he's acceptable. I I am I will admit amazed when people feel the need to uh, share this level uh, uh, about themselves. But you know I, I tell stories about uh, my days of depression because maybe it connects and maybe it helps and people can realize oh okay so you 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 can get past it I I, I believe you can absolutely. I believe you can and I I only hope that that, that I have so maybe there is a reason for it. I don't think he did it. I, I think he did it in the way you do it. It's your feed. It's it's your community, if you will. You share. And then if other people want to pick up the story, they can. It's, I can't believe he's the only gay football player. I mean, what are the odds? Zero percent. Zero percent. Absolutely. And and for the record, man, we don't we don't care as as, as you know ju just win for your team. That's 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 what you want. And I I can imagine some other players have questions. Maybe some other players do have uh, uncomfortableness. But in the in the main, I would argue because they're two sides of the bell curve. I think everyone's like, okay, have we won yet? Like that'd be their their answer. That'd be where they're where they're at. But if this guy turns out to be a conservative or a Republican or was okay with Trump, holy cow!
then you'll learn that if you're gay and conservative, you're not really gay. You're black and conservative, you're not really black. You're Jewish and conservative, you're not really Jewish. This is what the political left does. Again and again and again. It's not because I say so. It's because they say so. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. This is Tony Katz Today.